Welcome to Tech This Way. Can you see me? Yes, I can. And hey. I, yes. Thanks for telling him, man. Hey, not a problem. Uh, looks like uh, this is the only entertainment we have nowadays. <laughs> yeah, la, you can't go anywhere. How's life at home with you? Ah, uh, okay. Uh, not too bad because we've got a full family here, six of us. So it's been uh, not lonely, la, I shall say. Trying to get out of each other's way, right? <laughs> yep, correct, correct. <laughs> anyway, thanks for dialing in. I wanted to uh, have a chat with you for a while. I think, mm. I think a lot of people know you in the ecosystem, but I guess nobody really knows your long journey la, to where you are. So the session today is more about that. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yes, it's been... Uh, Quite a while since I talk about my long journey. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be interesting, right? Because I think for for me anyway, I know you from Pitchin and WTF, but not much else before that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, no problem. I, I'm happy to share the ups and downs of my times uh, entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So you can start as far back as you want. All the way from oh. Penang if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Pinak only comes halfway through. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, 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 not really. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, entrepreneur journey. Yeah. Okay. Let me see where to start. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I've always been an entrepreneur all my life. You can say I've held literally uh, nine to five jobs. I think in total less than three to five years. Mm. Other than that, I've always been an entrepreneur. Right? So I started as an entrepreneur uh, in my late 20s. Okay. Uh, and, and at that time, obviously, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at me, you know how old I am. So there were no computers then. Right? And so the first, uh, first venture was actually a completely uh, brick and mortar business. Uh, we, I, I, I actually... Okay, right from the start, I decided uh, at that time, uh, we started a small stationary business. Uh, I, I started a very small stationary business, uh, which was essentially supplying, uh, uh, you know, paper and stuff like that to a few people. And uh, this was in that, KL? I, this was in KL. I, my entire journey has been only in KL, entrepreneur journey, only in hmm. KL. I, I came back to KL in the 80s. I uh, spent about two, two or three years working and then decided to launch this business. Mm. Uh, so, so basically... Sorry, come back from what? Yeah. Some, come back from where? No, no, no. I'll come back from Malacca. Malacca. Huh. So that's uh, family so, so in my, Malacca? My, uh, so my dad was a police officer. Right? So we had stayed in quite a few places. And the last place was in Malacca. Uh, so when they left Malacca, I continued and remained in Malacca for one or two years on mm. my own before coming back to KL. So, uh, so I started this, uh, uh, this uh, stationary business uh, about a year into the business. 
I realized that the place that I was living in, uh, which was uh, actually the same area I live in now, which is uh, the Wangsamaju Stapa area, hmm. was actually near to uh, two universities. Uh, at that time, UTM was in one place and uh, Ta College was, you know, uh, nearby. The, the, these two universities were nearby and where I was living in was smack in the center of where the students were staying at that time. And I saw the opportunity to start a photostat center. You know, just a um, photocopying center that would, that, would, that would do documents and all that. So that was really seriously the, the, the start of my business uh, venture where we decided to... I started with one photocopy machine. And I can still remember, just, just as a side interest, my first daily collection was Lima Blasin, 15 cents. How much was the copy? <laughs> Five cents. <laughs> so, so tiga. Only, yeah, three, three, three pieces of paper, right? So we only copied three pieces of paper. And that went on for a short while. So I was wondering what I was doing, but... But then the hey, word the, spread. But photocopy machines are not cheap, man. So how did you? Yeah, yeah. How did you raise yeah, funds yeah. then? Uh, well, what what happened at that time was uh, because I was doing stationery business, uh, I had access to people who were doing photocopying papers, and through them I met photocopying technicians, who were also then beginning to start uh, what they call a, a, a form of uh, uh, reconditioned copiers. So the mm. copiers that probably Maybank will buy would be brand new copiers and all that, right? So these guys were doing this reconditioned copiers that uh. they bring in from Japan and they were not that expensive. Uh, so, okay. so they're not expensive and then you could, I mean, having got to know them, then they will also uh, give us a little bit of uh, credit and all that. So I put one photocopy machine, 15 cents uh, first day collection, suffered for a short while and then people began to come. Right? Uh, and then... We added another machine and then another machine. And at our peak, we had something like, I think, 12 machines running. Wow. Right? So, yeah, yeah. At and your, time, your, uh, your target customer was, you were right, is it? The students lah, were your target customers? Yeah. Target customers were students who, were, who needed to photocopy books. Uh, let's not talk about all the, the, the rules about copying and all that. But, you know, they needed to photocopy books. And, 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 they, and they came and, and we did a lot of copying. But along the way, along the way, we also had a lot of people that began to, uh, corporate customers who needed bulk photocopying. Right? So, so there were, there were uh, I think, I, I mean, this was a long time back, but if I remember correctly, these were people like uh, engineering companies and, and, and stuff like that who were then sent over uh, plans and uh, uh, books that needed bulk copying. I put the, uh, so, so there were two, two streams of revenue coming in by that time, students and also corporate customers. Uh, so we did a lot of photocopying and we went on for a few years and then uh, again in the, in the very late 80s, uh, some students started coming to us and they said that, uh, 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 what is that, uh, we needed our thesis typed. Hmm. You know, so, so they needed their thesis to be typed up. Uh, so we took on those jobs, getting somebody to type the thesis. But around the same time, I bought a computer. I was one of the first, probably at that time, you know, a few people to, I mean, not, not, not the first, obviously, but mm. the first model of a, 
uh, IBM PC, which was called an XT computer, right? So I bought a computer uh, to see what the fuss was all about and played a few games and all that. And then I realized that actually you could type the thesis on the computer, right? This was with so the, then, green, the, green, the green text, right? Yes. This was the green tag. There was no Microsoft Word then. Uh, I think the first word processing software was uh, was uh, WordStar. WordStar. I was going to say WordStar. Yes. Oh, I, I, WordStar. I hate. I hate to admit. I know that. <laughs> exactly. So I don't tell a lot of people that I've tried WordStar, but yes, it was WordStar. Uh, so so we had to, so so my PC was then. Uh, taken over by the company and I got someone to start typing out the theses and all that. Mm. And, and after a while, I began to realize and, and two things were happening at that time. On one side, uh, copyright laws were beginning to enforce. Right? So I realized that I'm not going to be around copying books for a very long time if I were to continue what I was doing. But also, I realized that technology was changing. Right? So uh, a PC was going to be the future. Hmm. So what I did then was then I started a, a, a business selling computers. So that was my step into the IT world. Wow. Right, so we were one of the f- yeah. So we were one of the first uh, uh, dealers to sell computers. And at that time, you we started by becoming uh, dealers for a brand called Amstrad. Not sure hmm. if you know the brand. Yes, of course. Right. So so we were selling Amstrad computers. But those were um, more for home users, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Mm. It was at that time, computers were beginning to be purchased by home users. So, uh, our target market was definitely home users. In fact, I remember participating in uh, uh, the very, very, very first PC fair and stuff like that. And uh, so we were beginning to push uh, these abstract computers and also later on other brands to consumers. Mm. Uh, open up a shop. Uh, somewhere in uh, Ambang Point area, uh, which, and then mm. we started selling computers. So that went on for a while. What uh, year was this? Eh? In the very early 90s, 91, 92 or so. Mm. That would have been the time when Imbi Plaza was quite hot then? Lah. Yes. Right? My you suppliers be- were beginning uh. to. Yes, correct. My suppliers were from Imbi Plaza. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we used to take computers from Imbi Plaza because Imbi Plaza was basically the control by the big distributors and mm. they had this they had their, their their divisions that would sell computers to people like us. Mm. And so so we started selling computers. This went on till the mid-90s. And then again I realized that computers were going to be of course, okay, in the beginning when we sell one computer, it was uh, most computers were priced between five thousand to nine thousand ringgit. Mm. Uh, at that margins and the margins were good but the margins begin to drop a few years later and you know you realize that computers are going to become a a commodity Mm. and when the commodities the profit margin is not there so then I then begin to wonder what to do you know what what else can I do and by that time websites were emerging Mm. so people were beginning to start websites and all that so we then transformed our company into, we still continue selling computers a little bit, but we transformed our company by adding on a web team, someone who could develop, you know, websites. And this mm. was very, very early days. The websites were, 
mm. extremely difficult to to program and all that. But we started doing websites, uh, and and we did fairly well. Uh, I had I remember doing websites for one of our biggest deal was doing a website for public finance, you know, oh, one of the okay. banks or so in your industry. Mm. Yeah, so so uh, that was not too bad, but again. Uh, after a few years, same prices begin to come down. Right, mm. so people were beginning to do websites, and anybody can do from almost anywhere. Mm. Uh, which then told me again, I am in a business that's going to be commoditized soon. Right, so <laughs> so then I did, uh, I uh, talked for a while, and then we latched on to the next technology that was emerging, and that was handphones. Right. Mm. So mobile technology was in my, but I then I decided I'm not going to go and sell mobile phones. Right, mm. I looked at the the the, the, the resources I had, uh, and these resources were basically uh, the team of people that I developed. You know, those web, web developers and all that. Mm. And so we, we we had designed we had designed uh, talent and obviously a little bit of uh, IT IT uh, knowledge. So. I then began to explore the idea of, because I wanted a product that was my own rather than it's something that become commoditized, right? So, and I I I, I loved uh, reading and you know following technology. So then I came up with this idea of actually launching a magazine on mobile technology. Hmm. So so I wanted to launch a magazine. Uh, rather than you know, by that time there were quite a few PC magazines around, mm. so I did not want to go there. I wanted to launch a magazine purely on mobile technology. Uh, so and then and then I faced two challenges. One was, and I should have saved those messages. A lot of people laughed at us at that time, you know. So when I posted on a few uh, forums and all that, I want to launch a mobile magazine. People send me uh, messages. They say, "Are you crazy? You know, you should launch a PC magazine, not a mobile magazine, and this and that." Mm. But also the other problem that we had was that it was very very expensive to launch a publishing business mm. if you were to do it the traditional way. You know, I spoke to a few people because I knew nothing much except that I had printing knowledge, right? Because of stationeries and all that. I knew ah. I, I had contacts. I had contacts with printers and all that. The printing was one side, but the publishing technology was in very very old fashioned and very expensive. Right. So when I spoke to people, they say, "Oh, if you don't have a million ringgit, don't start a magazine." Mm. And obviously, I didn't have a million ringgit, so I mm. knew that I, that could have been done. But then we, I, I began to think about how I could do the stuff without the same cost. And then, being fairly technology savvy and all that, I, I saw things like, for example, one of the big costs was cameras. Because you're going to do a magazine, you need to take photographs, right? Mm. So. Traditionally, those days you need to have either you bring in a photographer who shoot on a very expensive photograph, uh, film camera, camera mm. sh- right? Shoot the the model or shoot the phones, go back to his model uh, to his uh, studio, process it on a film, then give you back uh, you know those films to check and all that. And it was very very expensive. Yeah. But then Canon had just released at that time one of the early uh, semi pro cameras. I can't remember the name of some GX something, you know, some 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 small camera that was pretty powerful, hmm. uh, not too expensive. I think it was it, the cost was about three thousand ringgit at the time. A digital camera. And, uh, digital camera. One of hmm. the first digital cameras. Hmm. So I bought that camera, 
and of course brought a tripod and all that and said we will do our own photography mm. right so put the camera there learn a little bit of photography so the first two or three issues of a mobile world magazine that was the name of my magazine it's called ah. mobile world magazine so first or two three issues i even shot the model myself and you know put the uh, photographs and did everything and i also cut out another cost because most printers were still using the traditional method where you send them the the the, the even when you send a computer file, they will then convert it back into these olden day plates and all that, that you got to check the plates and all that. Mm. So what I did was that I then uh, found a printer who was also doing computer to print technology, which meant that I could just give him a file and he'll give me the magazine. They can do mm. all, all the process. Okay, all to cut the cost. We launched the magazine and we stuck at the right time. Mobile World Magazine became uh, one of the best selling magazines top magazines in Malaysia at that time. This was 2002, right? Uh, mm. We launched it uh, 2002. I was looking for investor, but one or two years earlier, but 9-11 uh, came and, you know, the investors are talking to all said no. So mm. we launched it on our own, very small, but it began to take off. And I established ourselves as uh, basically in the technology field, mobile world magazine. Get so, it on. If, you, if you remember yeah. those days, what, early 2000, what phones were there? Is it all Nokia's? Eh? Uh, Motor, yes. Motorola yeah. and Nokia's? Uh, Motorola and Nokia were the market leaders. Mm. Uh, they, so these two were the uh, real market leaders. And I, I basically saw the rise of Nokia, the fall of Motorola, and the even stronger rise of Nokia, and then the fall of Nokia when Samsung mm. and all that came over. So mm. we oversaw the whole... Uh, I, actually, the, the magazine was launched at the very year camera phones became color. Color and camera phones came out in Malaysia. What was that? Do you remember this? What were the phones? Eh? Uh, the, the, the very first, I mean, these are like Nokia N95 was a few years later. Mm. Uh, but prior to that was the, I can't remember the model now, but there was a Nokia model that was one of the first camera phones. Right? I have yeah. the phone somewhere. I've got to go and find them one day. Yeah. Oh, a classic, man. Yeah, yeah. we've got some classic collections of phones. Yeah, so so, so, when, so when, you, we, when you ran that magazine at that time, the, hmm. how did you get your hands on all these uh, phones that, that was being released? Oh, so we just began to uh, publicize ourselves by going to the phone company and says we are launching this magazine and then they took on showing them the copies of the magazine. And then we became established as a media. So once you are in the media field, you get mm. invites to press conferences. Uh, you also, uh, they will send you phones for testing. Mm. For and, you had no, right? and you had no competition then, like, I guess? Uh, for, I had no competition for a few years until all those people who used to laugh at us, the PC magazine people also became mobile <laughs> applications. Right. Right. So, so that, that was a, uh, quite a uh, good times uh, because it allowed us, to, I, I mean, it allowed us to really gain a lot of technical knowledge. Uh, also travel, uh, because when you are in the media, you get uh, uh, offers to go and join them for events like Mobile World Congress or, you know, those stuff. Mm. So, so it was good, a good time. Mm. And then uh, in 2004, uh, to expand ourselves, I, together with some partners, I launched an event, which was called uh, Go Mobile. Mm. So Go Mobile was a large event aimed at mobile technology, obviously, and mm. it was held. The first version was held at the KL. The first version was held 
at uh, PWTC. Mm. The second one was held at, at uh, KL Convention Center. Mm. Why did I you do that? It was a large event. Well, because if you just run a magazine, you just get uh, revenue only from advertisements. Mm. Right? But uh, to diversify our revenue streams, if you launch an event, then the same companies like the Maxis and the, and the Samsungs and all that will take up boot space and show off their phones and you know, and we could have a conference. We also organize a conference uh, mm. and, a, and, a, and also an awards nights and all that. Mm. So these were multiple revenue streams uh, that, mm. that uh, enabled us to you know, diversify our revenues. Sorry, so just to go back, right? When you moved from your photocopy company, then you went into the Amstrad PCs, then into yeah, the website. Yeah. And as you transform yourself, what happened to your team, or did they grow with you on this and on this adventure? Okay, the the photocopying team didn't grow because hmm. in terms of the photocopying staff, most of them are part timers who just come in and photocopy for a few hours and all that. They didn't grow. Uh, when we moved to a PC magazine, uh, sorry, uh, sorry our, our computer company, uh, from that point onwards, while people might have changed, the team and, you know, so we grew, I, the team transformed. Mm. And so my salespeople uh, who were selling computers began to sell websites. Mm. Uh, of course, we added people and all that, right? And then, yeah. uh, and then when we launched our, our magazine, magazine, our designers, uh, our designers uh, who were then designing websites begin to become uh, DTP artists and all that. Hmm. Right? So we, we, okay. we, we, of course, people turned over, but the core of the company remained. Hmm. And, and then as we, when we launched events, then we may have added an events person to hmm. uh, plan the event, but we also had the same salespeople then begin to become event marketers. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Okay, so you yes. now at the, so now you were running events yes. in your magazine. Events and magazines until uh, the government decided to get involved uh, in uh, 2008 or 9, hmm. uh, MCMC launched an event that was very similar to mine. So you can't fight the government, right? So when they decided to launch an event, it was also aimed at mobile technology. Uh, <clears throat> I told myself, how, you know, I mean, I have to sell to Maxis to take a boot, you know, whereas MCMC could just order Maxis, hey, come, come, let's take a boot in the whole event, right? Mm. Well, they, I'm, I'm sure MCMC did it with the best of intentions, you know, so they wanted to go to the industry. Uh, but here was an event that would potentially collab, uh, compete with us. Mm. Uh, so around 2011, I again decided, looked around and said, what can I do next? Mm. And then that was when I realized uh, that among our core skills that I learned, I personally had learned how to grow businesses, mm. right? And 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 basically, uh, if you talk about change, handling change, I have managed change over four different uh, uh, phases, right? So so entrepreneurship was something that 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 uh, I gained some core competence in. And I decided to look around for things to do. And, and, and at that time, uh, startups, so, you know, people begin to talk about starting new businesses and all that. And I met Sam, right? Obviously, mm. uh, Sam was someone that I met at MCMC. Mm. He was the legal guy over there at the time, right? Lawyer. Mm. Mm. Uh, not really. 
at NCMC, he was actually more, uh, he was in charge of, uh, he was the head of the network security de department there, I think. Oh, was this before or after SC? Eh? He was in SC? Uh, I think he was at uh, AG Chambers, mm. SC, and then MCMC. Okay, so you met Sam. Okay. I, I, I got to know Sam because we, we, we were engaged by MCMC to do magazine for them also. Right? Mm. So uh, among one of the articles we had, uh, we had actually interviewed uh, Sam, got to know him and you know, we, we, we became friends. And then we didn't see each other for, for one year or two years. And then the next time I bumped into him, uh, it was at an event that I had organized for mobile startups and all that. And he came and then after the event, we went down for a cup of tea. Uh, talked and then I said, hey, what are you doing? And he says, because he was no longer the government type, right? So it already, uh, he, he looked like what he looks now. Right? So when I first met him in, the, in MCMC, he was in the code and, and his shirts and all that. Right? So here, he looked different. So I said, what are you doing now? And he said, oh, I left and I'm looking for, uh, uh, I'm also trying to build some startups. And then we sat down and we said, that both of us, since we want to do the same thing, uh, let's work together. And that was the start of Watchtower and Friends. The company that they set up to, uh, first we wanted to actually build our own startups or at least uh, do some venture building where we will engage people to uh, lead the ideas that we have. Right? So we mm. actually went and found one or two people to start some ideas and all that, but it didn't work. Mm. Uh, we realized bringing in venture uh, CEOs to run venture companies not going to work. The only venture that we succeeded was the, our own one, Pitchin. Hmm. Right. So then we decided that that's not going to work, and then we 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 decided an accelerator would be a better way, and we launched our accelerator. And hmm. from then onwards, you know, I think you know the story that we did one batch, uh, which turned out very well. Uh, hmm. Our very first batch of money match and uh, uh, the lorry and stuff like that. And yes. We carried on, but in parallel, we we ran pitch in ourselves. Uh, in 2013, we were engaged by the Securities Commission. Started talk, they started talking to us about equity crowdfunding. And uh, we were very happy because that's the whole idea behind what we wanted to do for crowdfunding. And mm. 2014 was spent really working a lot on planning on what ECF would be like. And 2015, we got our license. Mm. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. If you look at, I was just thinking about the, from the skill set and people standpoint, right? Mm. When you started way back then with your website, mm. I think from the, I'm, I'm trying to relive my own history. Like when I think about the Imbi, the Laoyat, and not even Laoyat, at that point it was Imbi. Um, everybody kind of, the skills everybody had was that like they kind of picked up on their own, like, right? Yes. Um, I don't think there was that many MSc uh, uh, science or, or IT engineering degrees um, out there yet, right? Everybody kind of had an interest in IT and programming and design and they picked it up, right? So how have you seen that, that, that uh, skill set change and grow from, from that time? Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. In the beginning, it was really whatever we learned, uh, you know, uh, on our own and, and watching people much like, very much like uh, uh, how a mechanic, you know, would just go and get down in a, you know, an apprentice will sit on in a mechanics car and uh, uh, workshop and then learn how to how to repair cars and all that. But over time, yes, 
you can see, and I think that's where the transformation to a great extent, uh, uh, MSC Malaysia is a fantastic idea, right? So mm. it really helped to grow uh, our, our the, uh, the group of people who could uh, really leverage off the later technologies that actually required a lot of knowledge and all that. So MSC Malaysia, when it first launched, was a catalyst, I think, for a lot of people who were able to uh, who had actually maybe even gone to learn IT somewhere, but I had come back, they had a place to actually test it out. Mm. Uh, and, and that's when you see all the later ventures uh, start. The one that actually required more technologies and all that. Mm. So where do you think this, uh, this entrepreneurial spirit came from for yourself? I would say necessity. Mm. <laughs> uh, Actually, I, I I am the only entrepreneur in my family, right? So, uh, but I, I would say if I were to look back and, and, and I have thought about it, I think when I was in Malacca, I, the people I knew there were also launching their own businesses, mm. right? And, and uh, seeing them launch their business and seeing some of the things that they're doing uh, quickly made me realize uh, that a nine to five job is not going to be something that I, I like. Right? Uh, mm. The idea of me going uh, and, and, and not, uh, not doing much else or something that was as opposed to what I see people do. Uh, you know, when I saw some of the people there who were launching businesses, maybe even failing or succeeding, but still uh, trying new things and, and going out to meet people, I, I, I like that. Right? So when I came, uh, I was still looking around for things to do. The only reason was that let's, try to uh, do something. Hmm. So it sounds like your, your current adventure, right? uh, all the WTF and Pichin, it's almost like one of your longer periods. Right? It is. It right? is. It is. Uh, yes, uh, so far when I sat down, I look at it, it is basically uh, in the 90s I did something and then in the 2000, the first decade I did something. And this is the third decade, uh, which mm. is basically WTF and pitching, right? Because it started in 2011 and 12. Uh, not the longest, but but obviously, uh, but definitely the most rewarding, mm. right? Uh, it's been very rewarding because from two aspects, lah. I mean, obviously, uh, pitching is is fantastic. We're growing and uh, being able to uh, take our uh, the leadership position in the market is fantastic. But at the same time. This accelerator, which allows us to then engage a lot of people. I mean, I'll be just one example, just to see the lorry grow uh, from a PowerPoint deck to, what, mm. I don't know, by now they probably have about 100 staff, you know, operating in a building, three countries or four countries by now. It's, it, it, it's something that I uh, wouldn't trade for uh, anything else. For. Mm. Mm. So when you started pitching, you were saying that, you know, with Sam, you guys initially wanted to do some of the startups yourself, like your own businesses, right? So now, yes. now it's like you're almost living your dream through all these other companies in a way. But, yeah. but I know that, that uh, that spirit of building your own company is not uh, over, right? You're still looking at new things to, to do though. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, uh, definitely first, uh, one thing that we learned, very quickly, I watched our friends. Was that you can't 
you can't pick someone and turn him into a CEO or into an entrepreneur, right? So you can't just pick someone who says, hey, I've got this idea. Can you come and, you know, lead this? It doesn't work. Very, very difficult because the idea is not that person's. Right? So we quickly mm. learned that and we realized that it's better that to work with people who, who has the idea. So like, like Nadir and Chihau that came to us and said, I've got an idea for the lorry. Or Mehdi who said, I've got an idea for my cash or, or, mm. or you know, money match or you know, those kind of things are fine. It, it being their idea, they learn, right? So they carry on. So similarly for us, our idea, our passion is pitching, or, or rather crowdfunding and equity. And uh, while we have done pretty well equity crowdfunding, we're not going to stop there. Because sim- just like anything else, this is an industry that's growing. Uh, we are just touching that actually the tip right now. We are dealing mm. with private limited companies of a certain size that come to us to raise money. But when you look forward, the uh, possibilities are great. We can A, start a secondary market for all the companies that raise money. B, we can begin to look at other unlisted securities. C, we can look at uh, the new emerging, not, not emerging, but this new area of tokens and you know, uh, crypto tokens and all that. So there's a lot of things that we can look at. And, mm. and, and, and that again, I, I would say, fuels our passion for, for entrepreneurship. So definitely Pichin, Sam and I are looking at starting all this new stuff that will then grow Pichin to beyond an equity crowdfunding platform. Mm. Would you say you might run the risk of uh, spreading yourselves too thin and not focus on, you know, I think like if we go through your journey, you kind of transition quite nicely, right? From the Amstrad, you went into the website, okay, like overlap a little bit, and then you went into the magazine and then the events, but they were kind of one thing at a time. Suddenly now it's almost like, you know, there's WTF, there's the pitching, and then yes. the things that you laid out, right? All these various different businesses, which in a way, the business models are quite different and the focus can be quite different too, right? Would you run the risk of being running, spreading yourself too thin? Oh, sorry. Did the line cut off? Uh, the only... Uh, yeah, uh, you cut off a bit. Uh, uh, just give me a okay. second while I try to find a better, better internet connection. Uh, uh, I think it's back. I think it's okay now. Okay, it's okay. Yeah? All right. Uh, okay, so it's okay. Now, that's a very good question. Very valid and some of the things uh, that we definitely are uh, worrying about. But I think there's going to be one major difference. Uh, A, all the earlier ventures, other than having, obviously we have some partners and all that, but it was basically people. Right, so people you can't stretch that much more. You know? So I, 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 I can't be stretched that much more, for example. But now at Pitchin, uh, we have resources beyond people. Uh, we mm. are about to raise money, so Pitchin will raise money. So, this what we have done at Pitchin is something that Sam and I could have done ourselves. But the next phase of Pitchin is not something that we can do ourselves. Uh, so, we are about to raise money, we will raise a serious uh, amount of money uh, in the next few months. Mm. Once we raise that money, then I think uh, with that, we have already planned that we will then uh, build uh, separate business units. So mm. our approach then will become very corporate-like. Right? So if it's going to be equity crowdfunding, there'll be a team looking at equity crowdfunding. If there's going to be uh, secondary market, there'll be a team looking at secondary market. Uh, and uh, 
I think the transition from a startup to a, a, a larger corporation is something that Sam and I will have to manage. Uh, but mm. we're confident we can. Uh, mm. I wouldn't call us a startup anymore if you were to once we finish launching our uh, raising our money. Mm. And and obviously, having got on in years, uh, I wouldn't be I or neither Sam will be there forever. Right? So we are actively along with our plans for our uh, business unit that we're going to launch. We are in our plans are actively the uh, the, the the move to bring in the next generation of leaders into kitchen. Mm. So there will be the next generation who will take over in the, over the next two to three years. They will mm. take over. Of course, of course, we will have to manage that change. It's not going to be easy. Uh, but having spoken to a few people that I know are interested, I think we will be able to build a team that can take that on. Mm. And I guess back to your point initially that you said you cannot just make entrepreneurs out of anybody, right? They must have the, the, the passion for that business itself. So you need to find those kind of guys somehow. Uh, yes, exactly. We need to find those kind of guys. So the good thing about, uh, about uh, running an accelerator is that we come into contact with a lot of people. Now, when you come into contact with a lot of people, uh, these people are all entrepreneurs. Mm. Uh, I, I think the underlying principle that I want to convey is that many good entrepreneurs could fail at some venture. Right? So at WTF, we have a lot of people who, who, who came in and we backed them. And some of the startups failed. Mm. Right? Some of the startups failed because the founders were, put in a simple word, lousy, useless. Right? Uh, and, and, and we just said good riddance to them and said bye. Right? So mm. we lost money there and, and, and we got it out. You know, and, and those are the people that we would not want to work with again. But there, were, there are a lot of people who are great people, but maybe their idea had not come, their time was not there, or certain mm. other outside forces caused their, their mm. venture to fail. Uh, so these are the kind of people that I think would be ideal if you want to, to launch new businesses and, and uh, get them involved, because they are entrepreneurs at heart. So that mm. has been our, uh, if you ask me who I'm seeking at for the next uh, round uh, of leaders, I would say these are the kind of people that we're looking at. People who have either uh, seriously tried a, a venture. Mm. Mm. So I just want to go back to a little bit more topical stuff. Like, uh, mm. So today you guys had that uh, Facebook uh, session. Um, yes. The live uh, Zoom. Do you want to share a little bit about that? What was the thinking um, and, the, and the mission there? Okay, sure. Uh, I think when this crisis broke, uh, we pitching quickly found ourselves in the in the heart of the storm. Mm. And all around us, we saw businesses who were then wondering how to cope, what to do, uh, uh, having their fears, uh, what, rushing to cope, uh, and planning uh, to act in a world where half their business might have disappeared. So. Mm. We could see that happening around us. So we, we felt we had to react and, and, and actually take some kind of leadership position. So we did two things. Uh, one of the things that we did was that we actually issued a statement. Actually, we shared it out uh, to, uh, to our group of companies that we know. Uh, so Pichin 
has immediately uh, made it easier for people to fundraise. Right? So they come to us, we're going to drop our fees, uh, we are going to double the marketing, uh, we are even going to, uh, some of the fees that, that we still will charge them, if they can't pay, we will take that in the form of shares. Mm. Also, Pichin itself is reacting and trying to help these entrepreneurs. But at the mm. same time, I think we should we also realize that we've got a whole group of people around us, experienced entrepreneurs, uh, who probably know more about certain areas than us. So what we did was we called a few people uh, and within, I think one day we, we got four of them said, okay, let's do this. Uh, so we got a founder of Oxfight, a founder of Oxfight CK, uh, who, who is a highly or purely online business and uh, mm. uh, he sells apparels and all that. Then we've got Signature Market, another company that's mostly online and, and very much into food and stuff like that. Then we also got FNB, a sector that's very, very impacted. Uh, Vincent from VMO Rocks. And again, a more brick and mortar business, uh, Zaliza, Zaliza alias the, the CEO of uh, Genius All Art, a group of schools uh, that would have been definitely impacted uh, because they actually bring, I mean, children come to the schools every day. Like, you know. So we brought four of them together. I think we had a very good discussion. Uh, all of them shared their views. Uh, the consensus was clear. Uh, tough times come and you cannot avoid that. But tough people survive. Right? And I think one of the most key learnings that, that came out of from that was that you really got to digitalize your businesses as much as possible. Because that's going to take you through the, through, through the storm. But at the same time, keep your focus, manage your cash, you know, keep your reserves, don't waste it right now. Uh, focus on things that can bring you profit until the storm pass, generate new leads and then go forward very quickly. Mm. Now, these are companies which have established themselves and are trying to survive, right? Um, but what would your advice be for all these young startups who you know, probably a month ago was just about to get into it um, and then suddenly all hell broke loose, right? So what would your advice be for those guys who, who want to start? Should they just wait or should just, if you can survive these hard times, maybe you can survive forever, uh, all the harder times? I, I think uh, hard times bring opportunities that are not there. Uh, I would encourage anyone who was planning to start a business to start. Right. Mm. Uh, I say that with a caveat. With a caveat, obviously, I don't know your business. So, uh, if you are planning, were planning to start a business that would have been, uh, that is not going to be possible in the next one year, then obviously don't start. Right. But if you were looking at starting a venture, this is actually a great time to start. And I'll tell you why. Uh, mm. One, uh, just like all the other crises that I've gone through and others have gone through, things are going to be cheap to start now. Mm. Right. Uh, mm. it, it's going to be much easier. One, you'll be, you will be able to find your talent quickly. You will be able to even keep your overheads low. Right. Rentals are going to be lower going forward and stuff like that. And, and thirdly, even when it comes to digital, uh, I, I, somebody was telling me that even when it comes to Facebook advertisements and all that, they've dropped. The prices have dropped because less people are advertising now. So it's a very I would say the noise has reduced in the out there, right? So if you go out, you have every chance of being heard. So go out and launch your business. But at least the same advice I'll give to anybody, even without a crisis, do not uh, go crazy with your with your financials and all that. 
uh, work carefully, slowly, uh, keep your bullets. Uh, don't, you know, one of the most common mistakes that people come to us, even when it comes to uh, crowdfunding or when it comes to charity, is when they come to us and they put up their business plans. They, many of them, for example, will say, I need a million to do this. Mm. But if you were to sit down with them and actually go through, they will find that they may need only 200,000. So, mm. you know, so, so this is because of inexperience and you think that you need to hire 10 people right away. But why don't you hire two people and then grow to the 10 people when you have the business, right? So, mm. I would say it's a good time to start businesses. Mm. Now, as far as uh, crises go, so obviously you've gone through quite a few, right? How, is, yes. how, does, how does this one compare to, you know, the dot-com or the crash in the late 80s? How does this compare to the last 30, 40 years? Or is it just another one of those? Okay. I would say it's not... I would say everyone was bad in his own way, but this one is rather special. Hmm. Right? So this crisis is very, very special because A, it affects everybody. Right? So, so let's look at the dot-com crash. The dot-com crash would have hurt many technology entrepreneurs and a lot more VCs who are putting money into them. Uh, but they didn't, ex- they didn't really hurt the ordinary people who went on, you know, getting their paychecks and working in brick and mortar companies and all that. Uh, even the financial crisis hurt a lot of banks and, and, and shook the financial uh, uh, market and institutions. And, but underlying that, people could still go to work. Mm. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of layoffs or, you know, that, that happens, you know. But this one is different. This one affects everybody, right? Uh, it has shaken the financial market, right? So I think down about 30 to 40, 50%. They mm. don't know, you know, the wild swings and all that. It has shaken uh, industries uh, like mm. hospitality and travel to its very core, mm. right? And then oil it's gone down, or, mm. oil and gas, right? And it's gone down all the way to the guy who was running the burger shop at our corner, uh, in the uh, road outside our, our, our condo in the corner there, he has not opened for the last two weeks. Mm. Right? So it has affected everybody. And, and, I, I, and because it's not just, a, I don't think it's going to be the MCO period, it's like for three weeks to, but it's going to go a, a bit beyond that, not just the, for the MCO, but really the effects. Uh, the, I would say the reverberations of this uh, crisis is going to be quite strong. A lot of people will lose their jobs. A lot of people uh, 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 won't, won't be able to make their housing payments, for example, even with the moratoriums and all that. After six months, they may not be able to make their housing payments and then make, 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 you, you will have a lot of issues like that. Uh, but still, having said that, it's going to be a very tough one year at least. But just like the time when you know anything People will say the world has changed and you know it's never going to be the same. I don't know when I'm going to survive. I believe we will all survive and emerge stronger on the other side. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And how is yeah. it from it may be a bit early, too early to tell, but you mentioned how Pichin, um, you know, you issued out that statement. I saw the that letter um, on the yes. things that you're gonna do. 
um, or even just prior to that, how is how is business in terms of fundraising for for the SMEs, um, and how has that been impacted? Uh, with, with okay, uh, there there will be an impact for sure. Uh, uh, since equity crowdfunding obviously is something that people were to uh, want to when on the investor side when they want to put in money, it's more obviously spare cash and stuff like that. And many investors could be reassessing uh, where to put their money or, or should I hold on and all that. So that has obviously created uh, some, uh, I would say, worries. Some of those companies want to raise money as to whether their investors would want to invest into them right now. So we have seen some impact in the sense that a lot of companies says, uh, at least for the next two to three weeks, let's, uh, let's wait. And then I will launch my campaign rather than launching my campaign right now. And... Uh, and and when they do, then we will know what has been the impact from the investors because it's very hard to say so. However, uh, uh, we see I, I I saw something quite interesting. The two deals that were running on pitch in uh, through this period, we had two deals: uh, new ending and uh, uh, what is the other one? Uh, new ending and another. I, I can't even remember my own deals now. That's uh, how, how how many things are on our head, right? But uh, yeah. yeah, so so we had two deals running. Okay, the Yin Sourdough Bakery, right? So mm. so we had these two deals running, and uh, when the crisis broke, I was sort of half expected two things to happen. One, you know that under equity crowdfunding rules, you can you can before the deal is finished and after the sixty cooling period, you can ask for your money back and says I changed my mind. Two. Obviously, those who haven't invested can say, I don't want to invest. But I didn't see both happening. Both these deals have completed. Investors mm. have stayed put. And in fact, in the last 10 days, I've seen investments continuing to come forth. People have continued to invest into these two deals, mm. uh, which actually, frankly, made me happy, but also uh, uh, slightly surprised. So it tells me two things. One is... Uh, a lot of people are looking for good companies right now. And this is the same message that we spoke about at the panel session. If your company survives this crisis, uh, and I'm confident many of the pitching companies will, they are good companies, that means they will grow, right? Because they invest, their competitors would have been shaken. So people do look for good deals, and I think those are going to happen. Uh, so I do see an impact, uh, but it's not going to be as strong as I expected. In fact, a lot mm. of people are beginning to look at uh, deals again. Uh, obviously, we're moving our online pitching sessions online. So there's going to be an online pitching session on Friday and Monday, and then you'll see how many turn up. But I think, uh, you know, the other side effect that, that many people may not realize, a lot of people also sold shares that they were holding, for example. Mm. So they cashed out from the stock market. Right? Yeah. So that cash is also free. That cash will need a home. Uh, so people will then be looking around for other opportunities. So since we offer a bit longer, longer term investments, I, I believe some of the money will also end up here. Yeah. And the interest rates have all been slashed also. Exactly. Interest is slashed, right? So, so, so these are things. And some of the companies that, uh, there's one company that's going to come up soon called Rengard, right? So they, they're not live yet. They're going to be live in the next one month or so. And the guy, he's basically built a software that allows landlords to collect rental basically mm. people who own multiple properties they collect rental on their behalf and so completely software SaaS tool and all that and he was i was speaking to him yesterday and he told me he says my business is booming 
hmm. there was no other way for people to collect rental. And yeah. then so all the big, big tenants signed up with me, you know, so you say my business is booming. So wherever crisis strike, there will be always be people who profit. And so I think business will go on the impact for the next three months, definite. But after three months, I expect to see uh, it becoming better. Mm. What about your accelerator programs with WTF? What's happening in the next uh, near, yeah. near future? So, uh, so, uh, so we've got a batch running now, uh, but obviously with this uh, crisis, it will drag on a little bit. Because many of them will now have to, uh, what, what, what to say, uh, uh, we, we'll have to work a bit slower with them. And so the, with the startup that we have right now. Our plan was to do a second batch later in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we still want to do that. Uh, towards the end of the year, or uh, mid mid. Uh, I would say third quarter kind of year. Uh, that's the time we probably could do another batch. We still we still uh, uh, on track to possibly partner with Etika and, and, and all that. Mm. On this, so yeah. our plans haven't changed because, to our understanding, good companies will always emerge. So we want to look out for the next good companies. Mm. Okay, la. cool. Yeah, but they got these people may have to be prepared to launch and even be accelerated, maybe through Zoom. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this might happen, yeah. yeah. No, you mentioned, uh, what was that company, the Yin Sourdough. That's the one that has the bakery in uh, Damansara Utama, right? Yes. They have yeah. one there and I think they've got two or three outlets in Penang. And yeah. so, so this, again, uh, it may be a brick and mortar business, but they operate in, in, in the, the product that they have is very much the kind of product that people like. So their own, the, the, you know, these bakery products, they have got their fans. Their fans are investing to them. Oh, that's good. La. That's good to that's good to hear. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Cash. All right. It's coming, coming to the hour. Uh, yeah. It's been so, great talking to you and uh, going back in time and realizing oh, what a journey I've gone through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I think it's, it's one of these things that it's it's beneficial for people to to know a little bit more about how to survive yeah. this. Uh, you know, you, you're right yeah. that you know sometimes when things like this happen, they think, "Oh, this is the end of the world." You know, it's mm-hmm. it's there's no way out. But actually, you know, yeah. throughout somebody like yourself, your own journey, right, over the last what 20, mm-hmm. 30 years, it's it's a yeah. phase. You get stronger out on the other side, like, If you survive it, yeah, you get stronger out. I you know, I think one of the Somebody posted that, that note when we were having the panel session, which is true, you know. They said, businesses can fail, but entrepreneurs don't fail. You know, they get yeah. up and they maybe launch even something else. It worse come to worse, but they will succeed sooner or later. I think that's yeah. the spirit that people got to take. Like, it, may, it may look very difficult, but I still remember even what 9-11 when the bombs fell. People say, the world has changed and nothing would Well, it's always the new normal. So we have to decide very soon what's the new normal. And then just operate from there. Yeah. Face masks may be the new normal, but you know, business goes on. Yeah. Yeah, business goes on. Maybe we shake hands a lot less now. Uh, <laughs> do more Zoom meetings and, and stuff like that. But business will go on. Life will go on. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay, man. Right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you. And all right. Stay safe. Stay home. Bye. Bye-bye.